Good afternoon, good evening. I'm Dove Tuzman, and you're back on Equal Footing. Happy Holidays, Hanukkah Sameach, Merry Early Christmas for those celebrating. Special time of year. So, we figured we'd do it justice, as we always do, by analyzing what we perceive to be reality, received wisdom, challenging it, maybe getting in trouble a little along the way, but learning. So, what's a good subject a couple days before Christmas, the celebration of the birth of the figure known as Jesus of Nazareth. Well, let's talk about the birth of the figure known as Jesus of Nazareth. The birth of Jesus is much more debated than you might think. And why is it important? The idea here is not to in any way demean Christian faithful. It's in no way to enter into a theological debate either. But instead, it's in the interest of unity. You know, this is the, it's nice when Hanukkah and Christmas fall at the same time of year. We're all in a festive spirit. And that led me to think this year around what divides us as Christians and Jews. Well, one could argue that the central dividing line in Jewish and Christian theology is the idea of the deity, Jesus Christ. The idea of the divinity, not in the sense of we're all divine, we're all sons and daughters of Hashem, we're all part of of God and of God's universe. This I think we can both agree on. But rather, was this figure, Jesus Christ, divine was was this a god or a demigod or a semigod or part of a triumvirate or what have you well in the jewish faith of course we wouldn't hold that belief we believe that even moshe rabbeinu david amelech our patriarchs were all in some sense flawed of course they were righteous tzaddikim righteous people but we don't hold any man or woman, to that standard, to be divine, to be a God on earth. That is antithetical to Jewish theology. Now, that is, of course, at the center. I shouldn't say, of course, that is, I perceive to be at the center of Christian theology. And at the root of that belief, of course, is the coming into being of the Christian, I guess, patriarch, the Christian Deity, if you will, Jesus Christ. So let's get into this from an academic and religious scholarly perspective with two extraordinary guests, one who's been on the program before, love that we have him back, another who's first time here in the program. This is Harvard Knight. They both studied at Harvard. I did two guys, but much less uh, decorated degrees as you have. All right, let's start by introducing Professor David Weddle, reintroducing Professor David Weddle. He's a professor emeritus of religion at Colorado College. He's taught courses in, in his career in comparative theology and ethics, American religions, and the philosophy of religion. <clears throat> professor Weddle 
served as chair of the department at Colorado College. He was active on many committees. He was chosen as a senior scholar by the Rocky Mountain Great Plains region of the American Academy of Religion. He was named ultimately the David and Lucille Packard chair. He previously taught at Cornell College in Iowa. He chaired the Department of Religion there for 20 years. Professor Weddle is a lifetime honorary member of the American Academy of Religion. He's the author of many wonderful books. I have, I think, read most of Professor Weddle's books and articles, and I, I love them. One is called Miracles, Wonder and Meaning in World Religions. Another called Sacrifice in Judaism, Christianity and Islam. We've talked about that before in the program. And many other scholarly articles and book reviews, including a wonderful, uh, polemic from uh, 1992 on this subject of the birth of Jesus. Professor Weddle's current essays examine the role of religion in American politics. Could never be more important. Professor Weddle lives with his wife, Sharon, of 60 years in Woodland Park, Colorado. Professor Weddle, welcome back to Equal Footing. Thank you very much, Don. Glad to be here. I'm intimidated tonight because both of our guests have better radio voices than I do. (laughs) Both so resonant and wise. Reverend John Haugen. First time on the program, Reverend Haugen is a PhD and an ordained pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. He holds a BA in sociology from Luther College, also in Iowa. You guys have that in common. A Master of Divinity degree from Harvard Divinity School and a PhD in religion and literature from the University of Virginia. I should have mentioned that Professor Weddle also holds his PhD from Harvard Divinity School. Uh, Reverend Dr. John Haugen, his, his career included, has included parish ministry, university chaplaincy, adjunct teaching in university settings and seminary settings, uh, and even, uh, and, and ministry administration, I should, I should say. And in these capacities, he's consistently emphasized addressing social issues, mining the arts for spiritual experiences and insights, worship, and pastoral care. So that unity that we look for on this program between kind of theological insight and academic work and also tying it to real life. Uh, Reverend Haugen's publications include four books, many hymn texts, many articles. He's an enthusiastic volunteer, docent at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, enjoys writing and painting and photography, etc. And Professor Haugen lives in Elkins Park, which is dear to my heart. I've a lot of family in Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. Um, and he's a parent and a grandparent. Reverend Haugen, welcome to Equal Footing. Oh, thank you, Doug, and uh, happy Hanukkah to you and to all of your audience. Thank you, and Merry Christmas to you. Reverend Haugen, can you start us off, uh, pretend you're talking to uh, someone who doesn't know anything about what I'm supposed to know about the birth of this figure we know as Jesus Christ, or Jesus of Nazareth, or I guess Jesus of Bethlehem, as it were. What should I know? What's the kind of received wisdom in the Christian faith, if there is one, about his his prenatal reality and his birth. Well, uh, there is, there is a story, the Christmas story, of course, but um, you won't find it in any one place if you go to the Christian New Testament, because there are certain scenes that are in one book and certain scenes that are in others. Um, but if you put them all together, they they come out in a kind of order that is. Uh, present on medieval altarpieces and also in uh, children's pageants that are put on by Sunday school children today. So the first scene in that uh, in that story is the Annunciation. That's when the angel Gabriel, an angel who is uh, familiar to readers of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and announces to her uh, that she will be the mother of God's child. 
She is perplexed by that. She is unsure of what it means. But after some persuasion by Gabriel, she um, allows to, what, to, what the, the angel is announcing, she allows it to happen to her. Um, some of the theology around that is that Jesus uh, was pre-existent, uh, existing in heaven with God from the very beginning, uh, before creation, and then at this moment in history was uh, conceived by Mary as um, uh, without sin and uh, became human, fully human as well as fully divine. That's a mystery. We can talk about that later if you wish. Uh, the next scene is the visitation. Um, uh, Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth, who becomes the mother of John the Baptist, and they talk to each other, and and Elizabeth greets her in a way that is quoted in the Hail Mary, uh, Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Um, Somewhere in this early part of the pregnancy of Mary, an angel appears, sometimes attributed to Gabriel again, but that's not clear in the scriptures as far as I know. Uh, an angel appears to Joseph and says, um, you're engaged to this Mary. She's now, Joseph, pregnant, but... just for the uninitiated here, so Joseph is is Mary's betrothed. This is Mary's yes. fiancé or husband, uh, kind of earthly father of Jesus. Yeah, um, so he he is the either father or stepfather, if, if you will, of of Jesus. And um, um, yeah, my understanding of, of Hebrew marriage customs at that time in history is that the betrothal or the the engagement is considered uh, a marriage. Um, so they they are considered fully married, but they don't live together yet. Is what I think I remember. Um, Anyway, uh, they go to Bethlehem, um, Mary and Joseph, so that because uh, the Romans are taking a census, and uh, they go to their their ancient uh, ancestors' hometown of Bethlehem, uh, where Jesus is born. Um, the next thing that happens, the next scene, is that uh, uh, angels, again led by Gabriel, supposedly, um, uh, are. The angels come to visit shepherds that are out in the fields tending their sheep, and um, and they are directed to go and worship the, the newborn king, Jesus. So they go to visit. Um, eight days pass. Now, is this where they're he, guided? And you have to excuse me for not knowing the, the the history. This is why we wanted to give you to give us a, a primer here, Reverend, on the on the the background of Jesus's birth. Is this where there's the the star of Bethlehem that's guiding people to to his place of birth? Um, as far as I can remember, I think the shepherds were were led more by directions. You know, go to Bethlehem. They they knew where they were going, and and you'll find. Uh, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's really the star is really more prominent in the story of the wise men or the magi, and and they come later. In fact, they might even come a couple years later. Um, historians are uh, divided on that, but uh, the the people who put on children's pageants always include it in the <laughs> in in the Christmas story pageant. Um, so the 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 wise men come as well, led by a star. 
Uh, they're they're astrologers from the east and have interpreted the stars to tell them that that uh, a king is being born in Bethlehem. Um, the eighth day after uh, the birth of Jesus, he is circumcised. There's a lot of attention to fulfilling Jewish law in the Christmas story, and the circumcision is one. Uh, another one is that um, about a month after the birth, uh, there's a presentation of Jesus in the temple, which is uh, connected with Mary's purification, uh, as she had been defiled in, in by blood in the birth of Jesus. Right. So, Reverend, let's take a pause there. You've gotten us through from kind of the the, the pre-birth to the, to the birth to the right the, the post-birth, and we, there's so much we could talk about in this program. We're really going to be focused in on the birth the prenatal and birth narrative, as opposed to what happens in childhood and later, which are found in in certain or sometimes called apocryphal gospels. I'm sure. Professor Weddle could talk to us about that. But Professor Weddle, let's, let's, uh, well, we're going to have to take our first break in a moment. But the first question I'll ask you before we go to our next break is what, what Reverend Haugen so, um, so, uh, crisply went through in terms of the, the birth narrative seems when you hear one person tell it to be as if it were coming from one source. But in fact, it's coming from several sources that are kind of pieced together and sometimes stand in opposition to each other before we go to the break where did the, what are the actual uh written sources that christians refer to when trying to get their head around jesus in the womb and jesus being born professor weddell can you hear us you sorry i have no mute on <laughs> go ahead uh, the only source of information about jesus is from the gospels and the gospels are not biographies they are proclamations of Jesus' identity as the Son of God and the Messiah of Israel. So these early stories, as far as we know, belong to the oral tradition that both Matthew and Luke drew from. But they drew from quite different oral traditions. So the two infancy narratives, which are usually conflated, in the traditional crush scene where the angel and the shepherds and the astrologers are all standing around a manger adoring Jesus. This is a, this is an anachronism. As Reverend Haugen pointed out in Matthew, the Magi show up two years after Jesus is born and they enter a house. They do not meet at a manger. So what we have here are early oral traditions that are added by Matthew and Luke to the basic story of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. So Mark has. We're going to get back to that right after the break. I think it's a it's a great place to to pause because this story, which is intricate and and lays the foundation for 2,000 years of theology afterwards is very, as it turns out, narrowly, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's built on a, a very, very few words in only a couple of sources. I think that's fascinating and it leads to, as we'll see, centuries of debate. You're in here, you're here on equal footing. We're on our kind of Christmas show, if you will. We're talking about the alternative, yeah, I said the word alternative, the alternative narratives of the birth of Jesus. We're here with Professor David Weddle, Reverend John Haugen, 
and we'll let you know right after the break how you can participate. Be right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by DocuVax. You've heard me talk about DocuVax before. In brief, it's a medical digital locker. It is very cool. You download the DocuVax app, D-O-C-U-V-A-X, on your iPhone or Android device, or you can look it up online at DocuVax.com. And very easily, you can download and categorize and get organized, not by you. You don't have to do it. Medical professionals that are on 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, they do it for you. They organize your medical records, vaccine tests, uh, vaccine records rather, blood tests, anything else in your medical locker, colorectal exam results, breast cancer screenings, etc. Put it all in one place so you don't have to worry about tracking down old medical records or sharing test results with a new healthcare provider or a new insurance coverage provider. DocuVax covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, as I said, from vaccines to screenings, even blood type and allergy information. It's only $6.99 per month to sign up. That can save you, you can literally save $200 just by using DocuVax to get a reference to a specialist instead of having to go through your general practitioner. You you know, as a pet owner, I find I have my pet's medical records more organized than my own until I used DocuVax. DocuVax data is never accessible to anybody but you unless you want to share it privately. And when you do, you can use a proprietary QR code code. QR code based system. I mush mouth tonight to, uh, to share and keep your data secure at all times. So check out DocuVax. It's very easy. Again, go to your smartphone, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. Put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file. Sign up at DocuVax on the app or go to DocuVax.com. Finally, if you are running a small organization, or even a school, and you want to get group discounts for having people be able to sign up for DocuVax, you can do that if you mention you heard about it on Equal Footing. The number to call for group discounts is 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. I've been caught. I'm Dove Tusman. I'm here with Professor David Weddle and Reverend John Haugen. We are talking about the birth of the figure we know as Jesus of Nazareth. Why is it important? Because there's a story of virginal conception, virginal birth, uh, divinity on earth as the Son of God. That concept is very Christian, very important to Christian theology, and in some way it it can be a differentiating factor, if you will, from Judaism. I don't think that we would have much of a problem as Jews thinking of a great teacher who, by the way, of course, was Jewish and or even a revealer, like a prophetic figure. It's when you transition into this is a deity where you have that theological break. Where does that idea come from? Participate in this conversation on Christology. Yes, there's a word for it. There's an actual study around kind of the humanity slash divinity of the Jesus figure. It's called Christology. Participate in this conversation. You can do so live by calling 718-303-9090. That's 
303-903-9090, or you can text or WhatsApp in a comment or question. Please don't call this number just for texts or WhatsApps, 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. Professor Weddle, before we went to the break, you, you mentioned the Gospels as of the, the Christian Gospels as a source, actually only two of them, right? Uh, Matthew and Luke, where you have mention of Jesus' birth. Now, there are four Gospels, right? There's Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, and of course, there's the writings of Paul that presumably antedate all of those four. If, if Jesus' birth was so important to the story, whether it's a virginal birth or not, we'll get to what that really means, why isn't it mentioned anywhere else? Why are there only two sources, and even within those sources, not much actual language? Well, these these stories uh, are composed later, of course, than the life of Jesus. So they are designed, Matthew's story is designed to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecies in the Torah. And so there are at least six references to uh, passages in the prophets that Jesus is said to fulfill. That's why Matthew, by the way, is the first of the four Gospels, because it attaches to the end of the Tanakh as the Christians organized it under the name the Old Testament. Right. It wasn't the first of the Gospels written, but it was like it's the first listed. Exactly, because it connects with the prophecy in Malachi, the last of the so-called minor prophets, which talks about a forerunner of the Messiah. So the Gospel of Matthew opens with the story of John the Baptizer. All this is designed to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy, and therefore the inheritor of David's legacy as the king of Israel. Now, Reverend Haugen, I want to, I want to ask a question about Professor Weddle's last point. One of the storylines that makes its way through at least one of those Gospels and then in early Christianity is that Jesus was part of a Davidic royal line. And this takes on increasing importance in the first couple of centuries. But it seems to a layman that that runs in opposition to there there being a virginal birth because the royal line would presumably go through his earthly father Joseph and if it's if Jesus was born from a virgin mother or there was a virginal conception then presumably there would, the royal line would be broken is is there any is there any kind of explanation to that logical problem when you when you kind of you know when you grow up going to Sunday school? Well, I I didn't really encounter the problem until I got to be a docent at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, <laughs> and and there were some artistic representations of the lineage of Jesus, um, and they led straight to Mary in the art in the medieval and Renaissance art. But um, in the scriptures, they, as you pointed out, they lead straight to Joseph. The explanation that I that I dug up and doing some research about this was that um, Mary and Joseph lived in the same community. They were assumed to be distant cousins from one another in the same family, and so that Mary also could claim 
to be a descendant of David. Mm, okay. I haven't heard that before. I, I think that uh, the, this, the issue, and, and I'm, I'm going to try to tread lightly here, and I think from some of our pregame discussions, gentlemen, you know, I don't, I don't mean to offend anyone. I'm, I'm asking the question, channeling what other people might ask, asking the questions of someone who's intellectually curious. There, it's, you know, the, what is it, the Shakespearean, uh, reference that doth protest too much. It seems like there's quite a bit of cover story going on in the later gospels around, uh, and, you know, post the, 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 uprising, the Jewish uprising against Rome in year 66 to 70, those later gospels that were written after the war, where one could argue that, you know, Jesus, the, the, the prophecies of the messianic prophecies are not coming to fruition. And so it has like another storyline starts to get written around the, the royal line and so forth. And a lot of, and, and a lot of discussion around like virginal birth and whatnot. Is this not potentially a cover or a, maybe a defense, uh, against rumors at the time about quite the opposite of a, of, of a virginal conception uh, or a birth without sin, but an ill, an illegitimate kind of birth. I mean, there was, there was even an early, I understand professor Weddle, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's an early church theologian um, who's in a battle with, with a, with a, a Greek philosopher at the time who's, who actually asserts that, that Jesus's father was a Roman soldier um, and that the birth was illegitimate, and there are references in the in the in gospels around uh, the son of Mary, whereas normally you'd say son of Joseph if if there was a father involved. So it, it, is 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 there an argument here that that what's happening is that the early Christians are creating um, a story to kind of address what are pretty persistent rumors that Jesus was a was an earthly fatherless child, and kind of turning that into I guess a, a grand and good story. Professor Weddell, did I, are you on mute again? Oh, here we go again. I like that, I like that mute device would ask a tough question. <laughs> well, the charge that Jesus was essentially a bastard and Mary was raped by a Roman soldier, that started fairly early and continues to be fairly influential in the Islamic understanding of Jesus' birth. Because both Muslims and Jews reject the idea that God could take on human form. And that's what that is what is at the center of these stories which say that Jesus' birth was miraculous. The whole point of saying that Jesus was conceived by the divine Holy Spirit is to separate him from the rest of humanity so that he can become the savior of the rest of humanity. All of this is, of course, later developed in the New Testament, but it's read back into the birth of Jesus in these stories. Let me, let me pick up this notion of Jesus as the son of David. <clears throat> there is a very strong a tradition in Eastern Christianity that Mary also belonged to the line of David, and that she was given, as it were, to Joseph, and his responsibility was to maintain her virginity. Uh, when she becomes pregnant, then both she and Joseph are seen to have failed in their responsibility. 
And so there has to be an explanation for how she can become pregnant, give birth to Jesus, and still herself remain sinless. And those sort of questions are caught up in later popular Christian literature, especially the literature produced in Syriac in about the second to the fourth centuries. Before you get to that, because I know that's that's going to be that's very interesting stuff. You alluded to it before when we were in a conversation before the show, and it deserves its own its own highlight. But Reverend Howland, one of the one of the things that I find, um, I don't know what the white word is, maybe tragic or 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 I would think if I were a Christian, I'd be feeling misunderstood about. Is that there's this there's a his, historicity um, proof going on here, like you know was. Uh, Jesus, the result of a virgin birth, and um, or and so forth, and the idea of the virgin birth, birth virgin birth story as a fiction meant to cover up like the sordid details of Jesus's illegitimate birth. It almost seems like willing to debate someone on their own terms. It it, it seems to me um, that you know if you look at the writings of Paul or or Gospels of Mark and John or or the Gnostic Gospels, all these other Christian sources, they don't really talk about. Jesus's birth or even childhood for the most part, or some of them do, but mostly not even the childhood. Isn't there a way to look at this that it doesn't matter uh, in Christian theology that, that it, whether Jesus was the, the you know, uh, born from a, a virgin birth. I mean, is if, if he was in fact the son of an illegitimate, you know, bastard child as it were, and from a very humble background, doesn't that in a certain sense, make the story more gripping and allow his teachings to be, kind of more resonant? I, I don't understand why it needs to be tied up in in this other virgin birth story. Well, um, <laughs> it, is, it is what it is in some ways. Um, you know, we, we're dealing with the writings that, that have come to us, and, and those writings certainly were created in a, a context of debate and of, of trying to uh, convince the opposition that Jesus was um, divine as well as fully human. Um, the the reason that it, there are some reasons as we think about it today why why it's important to think about um, for Christians anyway for to think about Jesus as as a divine figure as well as human, and and that is that if God became if, if God deigned to become human, became one of us, then it's easier for us to think about how we can relate to Jesus. Jesus experienced, you know, the the life and the sorrows and the joys and, and the problems of being a human being. And, um, and, and then as we go through those kinds of life experiences, in, in our prayers and in our relationship with Jesus, we have perhaps more confidence that, that Jesus is compassionate and understands what we're going through because, because he lived as a fully human being. Um, the, the incarnation, which is the, um, the, the coming of, of the divine into the human, is also important because it, it conveys dignity on humanity and it, it helps us um, we celebrate the birth of Jesus because it prepares Jesus. It, it, I mean, it prepares us to think about the rest of Jesus' life um, as something special, as something that God has done, interrupting, interrupting the natural processes, um, as God did so often in the Hebrew Scriptures, interrupting the natural processes, parting the waters, 
et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and here God interrupts the, the normal way of conceiving and giving birth um, as a way to demonstrate that God is involved in human life and has the power to interrupt nature and, and do things in a, in a divine way rather than a normal human way. So those are some of the reasons why it's, it's, um, it's important to Christians today, at least, uh, to hang on to those stories, even though um, in a scientific age like we live in, um, a lot of us are skeptical, but we, we, we try to let the import of the stories, the why of the stories, what it tells us about God and God's relationship to us, we, we try to let that be what comes to us rather than trying to figure out how scientifically we could analyze what went on. And you make an important point around the reference to kind of God interrupting the the normal evolution of events. And, and as a couple of listeners have, have pointed out, this idea of uh, divine intervention and specifically divine conception is rife in Greco-Roman, uh, the Greco-Roman God pantheon in Egyptian, the Egyptian pantheon. Uh, so this idea of, uh, of of God kind of if not impregnating kind of cor- causing a virginal conception um, in 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 a human being and in, in a woman is 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 this, this is a, a trope in a certain sense it goes back thousands of years which makes sense because it gives you kind of um, automatic uh, street cred if it would if you were around the around the 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 the, the, the deity or, or now it becomes kind of a demigod uh, figure so um, this the, the, there are there are parallels in other in other faiths as well. I think in in the in the Jewish faith, um, we see we also see intervention, but it tends to be in the intervention where Hashem, uh, you know, has uh, causes uh, maybe a, a woman who should be beyond child uh, birth age um, becoming pregnant, as opposed to the direct you know involvement in the conception um, by by a divine figure. We're going to be right back, and Professor Weddle, we are going to get to your Syriac story. And a listener question or two when we come back. You're on equal footing. We're with Professor David Weddle and Reverend John Haugen. We are talking about the birth of Jesus. Alternative received and alternative narratives. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures.
We're back on equal footing, and we are kicking up dust here. I hope we're not offending anybody. We are having an open discussion with two erudite religious scholars on the birth of Jesus and the, uh, I guess, the divinity of 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 the figure we know as Jesus at birth. Now, got a, some a couple of cool qu- uh, listener questions and comments, but first, with no further preamble, Professor Weddle, tell us about some of these post-gospel writings on the subject? Yes, well, the gospel accounts are fairly brief, and they leave a lot of unanswered questions, and they are riddled with paradox, as uh, Reverend Haugen pointed out. The notion that Jesus could both be God and man is, in the Christian tradition, a mystery, for there is no rational way to explain that. For example, when Jesus dies, if he is God, then who's minding the store? God has to be more than Jesus, or Jesus is still rotting in the grave. So these these stories are designed to say that from the very beginning, Jesus was divine and therefore immortal. But the unanswered question is, how does a human being undergoing normal development deal with the fact that he is divine? This is the kind of question that inquiring minds want to know. And a popular Christian literature was developed in Syriac between the 2nd and 4th centuries. Uh, Syriac is a language that is a, a variation of the language Jesus himself spoke, which was Aramaic. And in one of these documents, which is called the Pre-Gospel of James, there is a whole discussion of Mary and her virginity and her relation to David. When it comes time for her to, for the child to be born, Joseph and Mary end up in a cave. This is yet a third location for a Jesus birth story, manger, house, cave. The cave is a very important metaphor, symbol, in the Orthodox Eastern Christian tradition. The cave foreshadows the tomb that Jesus will ultimately occupy as part of his redemption of humanity. The child is born with the help of a midwife, according to this story, and when the midwife witnesses the birth She runs to the front of the cave and yells out, I have seen a miracle. Something has happened which is against nature. A virgin has given birth. And a passerby by the name of Salome says, I'm not going to believe that until I actually test the claim. She enters the cave. She puts her finger on the spot conducts this gynecological exam, which confirms that Mary's hymen is intact and that Jesus has somehow miraculously passed through the birth canal without rupturing the hymen. Therefore, Mary can remain a virgin even after the birth. Now, this story is obviously based on the later story of doubting Thomas When Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection, one of them is absent, Thomas. 
when the others tell him about Jesus' appearance, he says, I will not believe until I put my finger on the spot, on the wounds in his hand and side. Jesus accepts that examination, but says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This story then gets read back into the birth of Jesus to show that from the very beginning, he is possessed with miraculous powers. He is divine. Mm. So... now, sorry, I mean, you know, it's fascinating how these stories, like, you know, go, you go centuries forward and back, and it's all, of course, now, it's all, to some extent, a big mosh pit, but it, but it, it, it makes sense as far as an explanation as to, you know, the, the, the first sort of question that you brought up, which is, you know, you, you've got to establish the relationship between Jesus and God for it all to kind of make sense. I, I have a more basic kind of, you know, fifth grade question here. Reverend Haugen, when there's reference to siblings, if if the story that Professor Weddle holds up and uh, Mary is a virgin after even after the birth, what about the other the you know Jesus's siblings that are mentioned? Does she remain? Are these other virginal births? Does she remain a virgin throughout this? And is that a problem in in the, the literature? <laughs> Well, um, first, I want to respond uh, just just briefly and um, and say that this, uh, this the, the treatment of the Syriac and some of the other non canonical or or outside the Bible stories and uh, reports from the early centuries of Christianity that's one of the real cutting edge um, issues that's that's being addressed by scholars today. Uh, so I just want to make sure that your your uh, listeners understand that that um, the average Christian who lives next door to you is not going to know about those stories, and you can fascinate them by repeating what Professor Weddle has has told you. But yeah, and to the, sorry, I, please keep your your uh, your thought bubble there. I just want to point out Professor Elaine Pagels was on the show last week. She was uh, she's a scholar of the Gnostic Gospels and some of these writings, and some of this was much of it was discovered through archaeological digs in the 20th century. So this is this is active, fresh scholarship, as you pointed out. And one place to go for some of that is this book by Professor Elaine Pagels called The Gnostic Gospels, or many other sources. But the, the, as as you said, Reverend Doctor, these are these are uh, relatively fresh discoveries in terms of the context, of the, of the, the spectrum of time we're talking about. Yeah, they're relatively recent, and, and they show the diversity of uh, Christian thought um, in the early centuries. And, and that diversity, while it has changed uh, content, uh, there's a lot of diversity within Christianity today as well and, and how people think about and how different denominations think about the birth of Jesus and, and other issues uh, around the scriptures. But your your other question was about um, how could Jesus have brothers and sisters if if um, if Mary remained a virgin. So again, that's not addressed directly in scripture, as far as I'm aware. Um, but theologians have talked about it, and uh, one of the explanations that has been put forward has been, uh, for centuries, it has been that the um, the brothers and the sisters are really half brothers or half sisters or cousins of of Jesus. That they are not the biological children of Mary, but um, of, of Joseph and um, and uh, or 
uh, of, an, of other relatives, let's say. Um, it, it reminds me of, of being in, in Africa, where I was uh, in Tanzania, and um, one, of, one of my hosts was walking with me, and he introduced me to three people who were all his grandfather. And 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 in in their in their conception of family, um, the, the 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 wider extended family people many people took on the roles uh, of specific um, relatives. Now, Professor Weddle, I, I don't mean to 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 play too much of of a devil's advocate on this one, but there seem to be various references to, for example, James in various texts as Jesus's brother, not. Not in a figurative sense or in a cousin sense, but as a, in a literal sense. Is that is that not the case? Yes, that is correct. And in fact, James' authority rests upon his relationship with Jesus. When Jesus died, what happened in the Christian community is what happens in many communities when the leader is no longer present. Then they have to decide who's going to represent us now. And the two possibilities usually are a family member or someone who is recognized as embodying the teachings of the leader. So we have an early Christianity, James, taking over as head of the church in Jerusalem, and Paul circulating throughout the Mediterranean world, representing Jesus as the cosmic savior the deliverer of humanity. So these these differences had to be settled by the early Christian community. And the appeal of James was that he was a brother of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, perhaps the easiest explanation for this is that we do know from the tradition that Joseph was married before he was engaged uh, to marry. Presumably he was a widower, and Mary was presented to him as one, as the text puts it, virgins of Israel. All right. So we're going to so need to take our, our last break, but I think it's, it, that begs a question of, uh, of if, if, if Jesus was a, a deity, then I would assume that his brothers and sisters or half-brothers and sisters would also, in a certain sense, genealogically be deities too. But you, you mentioned uh, the Apostle Paul, whose writings, I guess, predate the Gospels, uh, theoretically. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that there, there's no there's no reference to a, a, a virginal birth or, or, or virginal conception. Um, I, no, I, no, that idea doesn't come until the Gospels of Matthew and Luke are circulating. Right. Paul would have known nothing about that. Yeah, or if or if he did, he if the knowledge of 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 the birth story, the birth narrative, probably didn't think it, it was Im- important enough to to mention. Um, we're going to be right back. We're talking to Reverend John Haugen and Professor David Weddle. We're talking about the birth narrative of Jesus. Uh, I promise, callers, and patiently waiting on line one. We're going to get to you right after the break, and we're going to get to some interesting listener comments and questions as well. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. By the way, the music uh, for tonight was, I think, very nicely curated, and it all comes from Peter Gabriel's uh, album uh, Passion uh, that I think was written for The Last Temptation of Christ, the movie, if I'm not mistaken, but beautiful, beautiful music that attempts to be contemporary in its sound, I should say, 
appropriate to the period <laughs> of uh, contemporaneous to the figure we know as Jesus of Nazareth. So pick up that album. It's it's a, or download it. I should say. Look, I'm showing my age. Pick up that album. Uh, it's a it's a it's a wonderful album. Passion by by Peter Gabriel. Okay, we got to do the commercial stuff. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital is a super easy way to get cash for your watches. If you're a watch dealer, many of you in New York area, and uh, are a watch collector, you can unlock the cash value of your collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's easy buyback contracts. You can literally get cash overnight. And you can do so just by downloading the Mechanical Art Capital app from the App Store on your phone. Just go to Mechanical Art Capital three words, and you can get your watches, your inventory of watches, or your watch collection appraised. That's free of charge, which you can use for insurance purposes or whatever. And then the app will also show you how to raise cash quickly from those watches you had appraised. You don't have to sell them. Just getting financing against them, especially relevant this holiday period where people often need liquidity. You can also call Mechanical Art Capital about their buyback program for your watch collection or your watch inventory by calling 833 209-0972. Again, that's Mechanical Art Capital, 833-209-0972. You're back on Equal Footing. We are in a show on Christology, study of the being, the, the, the humanity, the divinity, the person of Jesus, and particularly his birth. I have had some listeners, uh, write notes about what the veracity of the being itself, that this, the person named Jesus exists. Question for another show. <laughs> um, we, we, I'm going to just cut it off a little bit at the past. Consensus is that yes, a figure named Jesus did exist, a Jesus of Nazareth. There were other Jesuses at the time, um, for different places that, and this Jesus of Nazareth, um, whether all the, the teachings and stories were, came from that one person, they've over the centuries been attributed to that person. It almost, I would argue, doesn't matter so much in a certain sense, but the theology and the faith and the, uh, philosophy matters. Okay. Uh, let's take a caller if he's still waiting or she on line one. Uh, let's see if we can get caller on line one. Sorry, are you there? I'm here. Hello, good evening. <laughs> good evening. Happy How Hanukkah. Good. Happy, happy Hanukkah. How are you, Dove? I'm good. Stan. Bingo. I'm bracing myself. <laughs> you better, put, better put, uh, tie yourself down to the ground on this one, Dove. Dove. There is more sanctity, more truth, more absolute belief that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, that Jesus Christ is a God or will ever come back. He has not shown his face. He's never shown his face. He's never come back in incidents of great tribulation in this world. He's never been. Where is he? He's never. Was he in Florida vacationing? No. The God situation does not exist it never did it is man's own insecurity that is not just that but hanukkah too with the candles where we worship and have hanukkah and light eight candles on what on a war of maccabees that died on a mountain and in the end killed themselves we celebrate that we have parties we give gifts for that do you see the parallel and the madness of religion in this situation, of Christianity and Judaism. I, I'm a Jew. 
But I stopped fairy tales a long time ago. And I have nothing against the Reverend and this gentleman. But let's, you know, let's get real and start getting real with ourselves here. Please. I mean, the world's crazy. There's no doubt. But come on. Stan, let me ask you a question. I, I, I hear where you're coming from, and I don't disagree with the, the good amount of what you said. If, if the kind of the core of tonight's program around this, the birth narrative of Jesus, are is the he existed, is, he was hang born. On hang on a second. Yes, I have a that's qu- as far as it goes. I have a question for you. It's a legit question. It's not Go a setup. Ahead, it's a legit please. question. I All think right. that where we're going with the program tonight is kind of at the this question's been wrestled with over time of two. Do we have to situate Jesus as being divine? And, and it, I'm not saying we as, 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 as Jews, but is that essential to Christian Isn't belief? that question have already been answered, Dove? I, well, mean, I asking, mean, you ask a question. But here's my question. You, know you haven't heard my question. To. No, I All haven't. Right, go ahead, my, go ahead. Qu- my question I'm is. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. My question is, if, if, if this figure Jesus was not divine, if he was a teacher who had wise things to say, you know, I think we can all acknowledge that. Um, does that, and you don't expect expect him to come back there. Therefore, I mean there, these these gospels that were referred to just now by Reverend Haugen and that were quoted by Professor Weddle to some degree um, that sit outside of the canon acknowledge that to some degree. He, Jesus was a, this uh, a teacher, and and not you don't have to believe it's divine. If that's the case, doesn't that give you kind of in a certain sense maybe? Newfound respect for Jesus. There's no expectation that he. No, it probably God. would if the majority of the Christian world didn't believe he was a god. It would have respectability if that was the case. But that's not the case, Dove. You know, you 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 say you wanted to listen to the history of Christianity, and they believe it to this moment. Come on, the evidence is right in front of you. Human history has proven without doubt. No one has come back. He has never come back, and he never will. But it's, Sorry, Stan. I think you got cut off a little bit earlier. We, we were trying to cut you off, but not quite before you finished the sentence. Um, the reason we're cutting off is not because I didn't respect the point of view, but because we want to get some other some others questions. But I do want to uh, pivot to you, Reverend Haugen, because what happens, I'm sure that Stan's position is one that you've heard before, even in congregations. If Can someone reconcile a belief that, that Jesus was in no in no way divine in the way that in in the, in the classic definition uh, here, but as a as a teacher, a revealer of, of of truth, and still be kind of fully Christian, if you will. Well, there there are certainly um, big tent Christians <laughs> um, who who would welcome. Um, uh, well, let me say this: at, at least there is respect among many Christians. Uh, for those who hold the views that were just expressed. Um, and and uh, much of Islam, for example, uh, honors Jesus as a prophet, as a teacher. And um, I, I think the, the challenge for your caller is to um, see if he might come to a greater respect for those who have experiences and, and faith that differ from his own. And I think, Reverend, that a lot of uh, Jewish listeners, myself included, as a participant here, as the grandchild of Holocaust survivors, would say that to some degree, the Holocaust introduces a similar existential question and doubt around our faith. It's like, okay, if if 
if God exists, if, 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 then, you know, where was God at, at that moment? Where was the intervention when most needed? So that, that question, um, what is that called, Professor? What is that theodicy? <laughs> Turn around it's not trying, trying to resolve the problem of evil. Right. We addressed that a little bit last week. Let's get another listener question here uh, out, which I think is, is interesting. Um, one listener uh, wants to point out that, uh, that the scientific explanation for virgin birth has not been mentioned here. It is called, I hope I can pronounce this correctly, parthenogenesis. It's, it's common in many animals, uh, birds, fish, reptiles, etc. This is a birth without uh, conception from uh, there's with, with single gender conception. It's uh, it's spontaneous uh, events and it can also occur in humans, but it usually results in tumors like an ovarian teratoma or hydatiform mole. <laughs> I'm sure I butchered those names. So virgin birth actually does exist in science. I guess recent, somewhat recently understood. Reverend Haugen, does that matter? Does that matter to this to this analysis? You're you're out of my field of expertise. <laughs> well, I would um, like to say I, I, no, to me, not at all. Say it again, Professor. Me, no, I was just to, to, go ahead, Professor. Like examples of parthenogenesis in nature are simply irrelevant to the gospel stories about Jesus' birth. The point is. He is conceived by God. That's the whole point of the stories. So, you know, you could have all kinds of examples in nature of self-replication, but that's but this is not miraculous. It's quite quite ordinary, as a matter of fact. What's important about these? Right. Sorry. Yeah, I know. So we have time for one more question here before we break. It's literally have 30 seconds long, so I wanted to get to this because I think it encapsulates in a certain sense the reason we even came on the air tonight with this question. This listener asks, what are the practical implications here? Whether he was divine or not, whether he came from virginal birth or not, does it really matter? Someone tell me why. Reverend Haugen, can you answer this listener before we finish? Uh, I, I think I think that... I think it matters. It doesn't matter to me personally as a Christian whether the birth narratives are um, historically, scientifically true or a literary fiction that tells me something about God and how I might relate to the mysteries that are holy and sacred in this world and that I experience. Um, so maybe that's, that's, uh, I know we're running out of time, so that, I, I think I'll just stop there. I think that's a nice way to end. Thank you both for talking about here the birth of Jesus. Again, Merry Christmas to you. Happy Hanukkah to so many of our listeners. Professor David Weddle, Reverend John Haugen, thanks for joining us tonight. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank, thank you. 